world is insane. I'm tired of politics. I'm tired of all of the crazy. So let's take a break and talk about some books instead. So I don't really have a lot of time to read for pleasure anymore because of my PhD program. I'm like constantly reading textbooks or assigned books or things like that. So I don't have a lot of time to dedicate to the reading list that I have, which is like a bajillion miles long because everybody keeps recommending me books like this is great and this is great. And I have one friend who's just the most prolific reader I have ever met. And it's amazing because every day she's like, I read a new book. And I'm like, of course you have, because you're amazing. But I, yeah, so I haven't had a lot of time to dedicate to books, which is a shame because I have a lot of them. And I would love to just be able to read all of them. But I mean, I kind of have like, I don't want to say I have a short attention span. It's like I have a short interest span. So if I'm not interested within like the first chapter, sometimes I don't even get that far. But if I'm not interested really within the first chapter, it's very difficult for me to finish, to, to keep going. Even when people tell me it gets better. I feel like I shouldn't have to wait for a book to get better. It should just be good from the start, you know? And so whenever I find a good book or a good series that I start to read and I just get super immersed into it, I become a fan. And, you know, with Brandon Sanderson became like a rabid fan for a while. I had a huge parasocial relationship with him. It ended poorly when I got to the end of Alcatraz five, but I, I don't, I'm not ready to talk about it. So we'll just move on. But recently, well, I shouldn't say recently, it's been a while, but, uh, goodness, where were we? We were living in, we were living in Nebraska at the time. Yes. I had the house that I was renting, um, by the air force base. And I remember because I was sitting on the couch reading these books anyway. So I, I was at Barnes and Noble and I found the first, well, it wasn't the first I'd seen these around and these are the twisted tales that Disney's been putting out recently. They've been doing a lot of that where they're, they're basically, they're basically hiring people to write fan fiction of their stuff, which is fine. I have no problems with this except that they don't hire the same person to do it all the time, which works out if the person that they don't hire all the time is not great, but doesn't work out if the, per if the person they don't hire all the time is great. So here's my complaint. So I, the first one that I picked up was Reflection. It's the Mulan rewrite where Mulan has to go to the underworld. That's not spoilers. That's literally on the back of the book. So I'm not going to go into it because it is so fantastic. I just, I loved it so much. They, they held true to the first movie, like the spirit of it, the, the, the sense of, of finding oneself and, and, and being, being, being true to yourself and who you really are. And, and they do it for Shang and they do it for Mulan. Really well done. And they also, this surprised me is that they pulled in parts from the sequel. And I shouldn't say they, it's one author, uh, Elizabeth Leem. I think that's how you say her name. And she, she pulled in parts from the second movie. And like, I was really surprised that it fits so well with the way that she did it and how she did it. It was really, it was very clever. It's just super well written. It is 
a young adult novel, so it's not super complicated in the language, but it's very smooth. It's incredibly immersive. I was very impressed. And I was like, wow, if this is the caliber that they are putting into these books, I'm going to have to read all of them. So I went and I bought all of the ones that were available at the time, which was, I, let's see, I have them here. It was, it was Once Upon a Dream and the Aladdin one. And I think as old as time, which is Beauty and the Beast. And I sat down and I read the uh, Sleeping Beauty one. And I was really surprised because it was so dull. I mean, what was done with the story was kind of an interesting twist in, in that they, they're all trapped in the dream. But it was, it was so hollow, which really disappointed me because reflection, uh, right? Yeah, reflection was so deep and immersive and I was like oh, oh okay so I was like maybe I'm just not remembering reflection right or maybe it's because or, or maybe the book was so good because Elizabeth Lame is of Chinese heritage and has that cultural background and so I tried I, I started reading the um the whole new world which is the Aladdin rewrite obviously and I was like the very first chapter is jazz is Jafar saying, you know, now I will be the, uh, the Sultan and you'll bow down to me. And in, and you know, in the movie, Jasmine's like, we'll never bow down to you. And in the book, she's like, we just need to bide our time and, and not stand out. And the, and it's the Sultan who's like, we'll never bow to you. So Jafar just like murders him, which sounds like it i mean that's like within the first two pages so that sounds like it would be like really cool and really immersive but the writing is just so hollow so i didn't ever finish it i i do want to go back and work and and read it but i don't know i like i said i don't really have the time to invest in 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 books so much anymore so i just thought that the reflection was kind of a fluke and it was they were written by different people i will clarify this um that both Once Upon a, a, a Dream and I think A Whole New World, yeah, were both written by Elizabeth Braswell. So I was at probably Barnes & Noble again a while later, and they had just come out with a new... No, it wasn't Barnes & Noble. I was on Amazon, and I, I saw that they had just come out with the Cinderella remake, and then it was written by um, Elizabeth Lame. And I was like, ooh, because I really liked Reflection. And I guess there, I mean, I, I hoped that it wasn't a one-off, that uh, she was a really good writer. So I bought it. I read it. It was not a one-off. It was not just because she is culture, uh, it's not just because she's familiar with the Chinese culture. Elizabeth Lame is a fantastic author, okay? Loved it so much. I, I was incredibly immersed. I thought she did a really good job holding true to the characters, not just in the first movie, but also in the sequels. That's one of the things that I really like about what Elizabeth does with these stories is that she takes all of the facets, everything that we know about the quote canon based off of the 
the movies that Disney has done, and she incorporates it in ways that just sing so good. So I, I went and bought everything that Elizabeth Lame has done. I haven't had a chance to read them yet. I'm really excited. And I want to share the word because it's so rare anymore to get good books. And why am I talking about this? I'm talking about this because a lot of the publishing industry has really stagnated. We, they, they put out books that they feel like they can sell based off of the name of the author because, or because it's a popular genre right now, or, you know, it, it's not necessarily because the story is good or because the writing is good. It's because it's, it's to make money, which I get, you know, you have to be able to support your company financially, but a lot of the media that we have been producing in the last 10, 15 years, especially has just been shallow. Like there's, there's very little, I don't want to say heart or effort because a lot of these authors really do put their all into these books, but they don't have enough polish. You know, they're not quite ready. There was a book that I picked up at the, at Barnes and Noble. Cause sometimes I'll, I'll go and just like read the summaries and like the first page or so. And take it home to finish it. So I read the summary. I didn't read the first page and I should have done because, well, I don't know if honestly it really would have turned me off all that much, but like the, the main character's name was Roger. It's a high fantasy. It, there's really, it just, that's, that's what world building is one of the things that really bothers me. To me, it just feels lazy to have a completely different world completely different language, completely different way of life, and have your main character's name be Roger. Like, I get that there are names that are cross-cultural, it happens, like, but Roger? Eh, I don't know. And again, maybe it wouldn't have bothered me if the story was more immersive from the start, but I didn't really, I never really got into it. I tried. I didn't even get past the prologue. And I'm one of those people that always reads the prologue because you never know what sort of, you know, important information is going to be in it. But then I could have glossed over the name thing because I did for Michael J. Sullivan. He put out the Ryera, uh, the Ryera trilogy, which is actually six books, but they were published as omnibus books. So there's two books in one. And again, we're in a, a fantasy world completely disconnected from ours in every way. The main, and you have two main characters. One is Royce and one is Hadrian. And you've got, it, it, was, it was kind of bizarre because you get names that are super strange. And then you get names like Persephone. Like, like Persephone, Persephone was married to Nifrin. And I'm like, Okay, so it was interesting, but it didn't it didn't really turn me off over much. I I thought it was I don't know it felt a little bit lazy, but it also felt to me like he like Michael J Sullivan actually worked really hard on the names that he picked, and he picked them for a reason. Did the author of this other book book pick Roger for a reason? Probably, but it's because. I don't know. It's kind of like when I was a teenager and I was writing a story and I'm like, I need a name that just tells people who this character is. And so I would go through a baby name book and find a name that has a meaning that's deliberate. 
And sometimes that works out great. And other times it's just a little too on the nose, you know? And more and more often, because the Rayera books were ones that I picked up on a whim at a Barnes and Noble trip too. I was like, oh, they have the whole series. I'll just read the whole thing. I sat down and I read them straight through and it was great. Then there's a then there's the the book with Roger that I just never got through. Um, I did the Prioria of the or, or the Priory of the Orange Tree, which I thought was really interesting. I I never finished it just because. I moved in the middle of it and now it's sitting on my shelf right there. But that's one I want to get into because that's, that is one that feels like the culture is really well developed and deliberate. Those are the books that I like to read. Those are the stories that I like to read. The ones that, the ones that do the work to make it feel real. And Brandon Sanderson does this. He's really fantastic. He's actually like largely known for his world building in various different facets from cultures to magic systems which is really cool but it's kind of a dying art not a lot of people do that anymore and it's not just fantasy and science fiction either it's it's any book that you pick up you have to set the tone of the world and and it's it's also kind of bleeding over culturally and something that i've noticed in in the books that really, the books and the stories that really kind of explode in popularity, they all follow the same formula. And it's, they, they, they introduce you to a normal character, a normal person living in their world normally, whatever that means, whatever that world is, they introduce you to somebody who's living normally in their own private world. Then there is a disruptive incident and the world either gets bigger or it gets better defined for us as the audience. And then they imperil the world in some way and make it, make us invest in it. So the Hunger Games did this really well. Harry Potter did this really well. Um, Naruto the the manga did this really well bleach did it incredibly well actually the first chapter of bleach is like almost a master class in this in this formula of how to set things up so i'm going to focus on bleach and, and then i might go off the rails because i loved bleach and then it got ruined so spoilers if anybody has not seen or read bleach you you might just want to skip it anyway it opens up with Ichigo Kurosaki on the on the sidewalk talking to these punk kids who were skating around on the sidewalk where where they're not supposed to be and they knocked over an offering vase to a girl who died on that street corner and he he tells them to apologize they say that they won't because they're punks and then he's like he for, he basically forces them to apologize so they apologize to him and he's like don't apologize to me apologize to her and then this part isn't actually explained, but somehow he makes the ghost visible to these people. And he tells, you know, the, the readers that he's perfectly normal. He's a perfectly normal 15-year-old guy, except he can see ghosts. And not only can he see ghosts, but his younger sister can see ghosts. And his dad can't see ghosts, but's like super jealous of the power. And so it just kind of sets up this quirky sort of story of this teenage boy who can see ghosts and so he's later in the chapter he's in his room he's lying there 
getting ready to go to sleep or something. I'm not entirely sure. It's been a minute since I read it. But he's he's lying on his bed and this ghost just like walks through the wall in his room. And he's like, hey. And she doesn't respond. And he's like, hey. And she doesn't respond. And then he's like, hey. And then he kicks her because this is Ichigo and that's what he does. He's like, how dare you break into my house? And she's like, you can see me? And he's like, of course I can see you. And it's like, well, what's with the sword that you're carrying? And so she like binds him with basically magic and he can't move and they they talk he finds out that she's a soul reaper and that the world of, of the ghosts is much bigger than he initially understood it to be which then of course like i said peril happens that his house is attacked by a hollow which is a giant ghost monster that can affect the physical world but cannot be seen by normal people and of course, Ichigo is still bound and he wants to help because that's the kind of guy that he is. He's very action oriented. It's like anything that, that needs doing, I'll do it myself. And Ruki is like, you need to stay here because it's dangerous. Ruki is the ghost, by the way. Um, she's like, you need to stay here because it's dangerous and I will, be, I will protect your family. And so she goes out there and Ichigo breaks the spell that he's under, gets away, gets in the way. And then Rukia is gravely injured and she has to give him her uh soul reaper powers so that he can save his family and so he absorbs her soul reaper powers becomes a soul reaper himself destroys the hollow and rescues his family and that's more or less where the chapter ends which is a fantastic introduction now to parallel this is i think it's called Jiganshi which is relatively new and bleach went on for 15 years i genuinely don't see jiganchi lasting for very long i could be wrong i haven't read past the first chapter because the first chapter was just so heavy it kind of had these naruto vibes where it's these three kids you have to pass a test and then it turns out that the test was like they were lied to it's not about just one person can pass the test it's whether or not they can work as a team and you know um that sort of thing but it was so heavy, so exposition heavy. It's like, oh, we live in this world. And they used dialogue to explain, which is always a bad idea. They used dialogue to explain this really heavy world and why it works the way it works. And it's just so much information, uh, which I, yeah, I just, I couldn't get into it. It was, and again, maybe it's one of those stories that gets better as you go. I don't know, but I do know that I have, so little time anymore that I have to be invested from the start, which is very self-centered of me. I get it. But at this point in my life, I'm going to have to be much more selective and choosy than I might otherwise like. So another, another manga that did this really well was, is, because it's still ongoing, Spy Family. Really good. In, in the first chapter, it introduces this idea of this, this world at war in, in this Cold War era type situation. You've got a, a spy who's trying to infiltrate the enemy country to make sure that peace is sustained between the two nations. And he has, he's given a task to infiltrate a posh boarding school with a fake family so that he can get close to one of the, I think he's the majority party leader for 
the opposition or the majority leader for the opposition party, something like that, whose sons go to that school. So he has to go to an orphanage to adopt a child that he can then teach to be his own. So he goes to the orphanage. He talks to the head of the orphanage, says, I want your smartest kid. And he is pointed in the direction of Anya, who is probably four, maybe five, but she can read minds. And so when the the main spy character is thinking that he needs a six-year-old, Anya says she's six. And so he ends up adopting Anya and they he takes her home and he, he ends up leaving her there so that he can go do spy work. But she's a precocious child who loves spies. She ends up finding his radio broadcast. So he she starts broadcasting just because she can. And the broadcast is intercepted by some terrorists who kidnap her and so, of course, he has to go and get her. He rescues her in disguise, so then he tells her that she needs to go back to the orphanage. And, of course, she can read minds, and it, and she ends up staying with him. And it's really great because it sets up what we expect from the world and then what we can expect from the story without overwhelming the the reader if it were to have introduced his fake wife in chapter one as well it would have been way too much instead they save that introduction for chapter two and it's a really good it's a it's a really good chapter it's a really good introduction it's very much a meet cute and it's they're both extremely quirky and you know they they get along really well and anya is adorable so we see this also because i'm going to move away from manga for a minute like i mentioned earlier in the hunger games where it starts out with you know katniss talking about the reaping but she's talking about it in a way that she she knows what it is we don't necessarily know what it is but she's talking about preparing for it she's dressing up for this she's interacting with her mom she's interacting with her sister she's interacting with the people that she meets on her way and so we get little bits and pieces of the world as we follow her through her normal day and then she gets to the reaping her sister is reaped she volunteers for tribute she ends up having to go to the hunger games and that's when we get hooked with the investment so you 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 introduce the character you introduce the world and then you bring in the inciting incident or in other words you imperil it and not every not every story is going to do this that quickly. There are some that have to drag it out a little bit because they're more involved. The Wheel of Time comes to mind, The Lord of the Rings, you know, they, they tend, to, and, and people talk about the places where these books drag is largely in the beginning. And that's because people are used to having their stories just start. They're, and, and that's not, necessarily a bad thing this is something that shakespeare has done this is something that all of the greats have done it to a certain extent it's become one of the classics of storytelling and that, there's nothing wrong with that there's nothing wrong with being quote predictable the problem that we're running into is people have stopped wanting to be predictable and so they try to subvert the process or they try to reinvent the process and it's it doesn't usually work out well. I mean sometimes it, you can 
make it work but for the most part you're much better off just sticking to the to the classics and this doesn't just have to do with the start of stories either it's it's also true for story structure in general i read a book well, I listened to a book because, like I said, I don't have time to read. But I listened to a book by Christopher Booker, and it is called The Seven Basic Plots. And in it, he outlines what he considers to be the basic, the seven basic plots that most stories follow as as a rule. And you know, they have their darkened versions, they have their sub, their deliberate subversions, but for the most part, any story can be divided into one of these seven categories and their subgenres. And maybe this is just me with my preference, with, with all of the, the studying and the work that I've done putting into as an author to become better, to be able to develop, but it just, it frustrates me that we are getting to a point where bad writing and bad storytelling can be rewarded and people who do really well as authors who take their time to develop their stories, to develop their worlds, are not being recognized. Which goes a long way to explaining why the self-publishing world has kind of exploded. The problem with self-publishing is that it has gotten a bad rap because anybody can put up a book on Amazon anymore. And that's not a bad thing. I think the free market in that regard is great, that people have enough options that they can pick and choose what they want and be able to enjoy, you know, specifically a genre or, you know, an author, whatever the case that they can just go and they can get it. The free market is great that way. But there are so many of these self-published authors who are out of this world good at what they do, but don't have the recognition that I at least think that they deserve because for whatever reason, traditional publishing wouldn't pick them up. And I don't know the secret formula to traditional publishing. I wish that I did, but it, it comes down to personal preferences. It comes down to what's trendy. And, you know, sometimes you roll the dice and you get lucky. And sometimes you roll the dice and you get craps. Anyway, I guess this is just kind of like a roundabout way of me to say, I'm really sick of bad storytelling and I wish we could get back to a publishing culture that celebrated good stories that had meanings that had intent that were well written and that were interesting you know nothing on any of these authors I'm sure that Liz Bradwell is an amazing person and even her storytelling is not bad I like what she did with the stories it was just very clinical. And I feel like that's because she was hired to write somebody else's story specifically for the paycheck, which I certainly cannot fault her for. Writers need jobs too. There's nothing wrong with that. But a lot of the heart has gone out of it. And, we're, and I think we're seeing, I think the fact that things like these as fun as they are that build off of existing franchises are one of the reasons why traditional storytelling has declined so much it's really unfortunate because i am i am not against fan fiction in any way whatsoever i per, i mean i did a whole video on fan fiction and why i think it is important to our culture but even in this realm of published fan fiction there 
and actually I would say even more so in published fan fiction, there are some major gatekeeping things going on that, you know, you can't break into an established franchise unless, I don't know, you're, you, you roll the dice and you get sevens, you know? There are so many stories that I have read that are on par with these books both the really good ones and the ones that are a little bit hollow and are really great. Why can't they get published through Disney? I don't understand why we're not opening that up more. Why wouldn't Disney want to go and look for, you know, twisted tales that, that someone has written or, or maybe do a contest because I'm pretty sure they've done at least one of the same stories twice, I think. I'm not sure. But why not? They could have a whole series of, you know, twisted tales just for Mulan, just for Cinderella. They kind of actually already do for Cinderella because of Cinderella 3, where they like did it themselves to the start. But I just wish more people were given opportunities to, to tell good stories as opposed to being barred from the narrative storytelling process because of the bureaucracy that's involved. And this, this video is probably kind of all over the place. I, my thoughts on this are a little scattered just because I am so passionate about it. I mean, this is what I do, not just as an author or a storyteller, but as a scholar, I study specifically written stories, written narratives, and so much of what narrative was originally intended to do has been lost. We've taken these stories and these ideas and these tropes and these plots and these formulas, and we've sucked everything out of them that, is, that rings true to life. And it's just, they've Maybe it's just me, but it feels like more and more the books and the movies and the television shows that are being produced are just being stamped through on a machine to make money. And I find that very sad. Hey guys, thanks for watching that video. If you enjoyed it, make sure you like, subscribe, and do all those things that you do when you enjoy a video. If you'd like to learn more about us at Moms for America or the Millennial Rant, you can visit our website at millennialrant.com or see us on our Instagram page at millennial underscore rant. I look forward to seeing you next week and I hope that you have a wonderful day.